Uh, it is a gift to be with you this morning. Uh, as I, I'm looking out, it, it gives me great joy to recognize so, so many of you, and also great joy that I don't recognize so many of you. That means there are new people uh, coming into um, to worship and being a part of this, of this campus, and so I bring you greetings on behalf of our campus in Rollsville, Village Church Rollsville, and uh, we're glad to uh, share in ministry with all of you. Will you pray with me? God, open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. We pray that it would take root there, that it would grow us and transform us, that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. When in his book, Just Mercy, attorney Brian Stevenson tells the story of one of his clients, Anthony Hinton, on July 25th, 1985, A restaurant in Bessemer, Alabama, a suburb southwest of Birmingham, was robbed and the manager was shot but not fatally hurt. This occurred on the heels of two other incidents in Birmingham where restaurants were robbed and the managers were fatally shot. There were no eyewitnesses or fingerprint evidence. The police had no suspects. Faced with growing pressure from the public to solve these murders, police arrested Anthony Hinton after the manager identified him randomly from a photo lineup, even though he had been working in a locked warehouse some 15 miles away at the time of the crime. Police seized an old revolver belonging to uh, Mr. Hinton's mother, and a state firearms expert said that it was the gun used at all three crimes. The prosecutor, who had a documented history of racial bias, said that that he could tell Mr. Hinton was guilty and quote-unquote evil simply from his appearance. He told the court that the state's experts stated match between Mrs. Hinton's gun and the bullets from all three crimes was the only evidence linking Mr. Hinton to the murders. Anthony Hinton, 29 years old with no history a violent crime, steadfastly maintained his innocence. A polygraph test administered by the police department exonerated him, but the judge refused to admit it at trial. Mr. Hinton was appointed a lawyer who mistakenly thought he could not get enough money to hire an independent firearms expert. Instead, he got a visually impaired civil engineer with no firearms experience. With no reliable evidence to challenge the state's assertion of a match, Mr. Hinton was convicted and sent to death row. After several attempts at appeals and retrials that were repeatedly denied, the case finally caught the attention of the Supreme Court, who unanimously ruled that the state had dodged its responsibility for a fair retrial, and they overturned his conviction. Hinton was exonerated after spending 30 years in prison on death row for a crime that he did not commit. I think most people would recognize this for what it is. A clear example of injustice. It's obvious. It makes us angry and and hurt. It's the kind of thing that, that cries out for prayers that say, give justice to the weak and the orphan, maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. How often does that kind of phrase show up in our prayers? The truth is, injustices occur every day. 
They happen to individuals like Anthony Hinton. They happen to people groups. They happen to nations. Injustices are perpetrated by individuals and systems and institutions. Sometimes we see them. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes they make us angry. Sometimes we ignore them or at least minimize them. The Psalms teach us that justice should be a part of our open and unafraid prayer lives. We should pray over and over again for justice because doing so draws us closer to God's heart, helps our prayers not become nearsighted, and gives us the courage to seek justice in our world. In Psalm 82, we're immediately drawn into God's heart for justice. Other psalms say that justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. Psalm 82 shows this in action. It's an interesting prayer because it expresses a desire for God's justice by imagining God as a kind of chief justice in a court of the the gods the surrounding nations worship. God is making a case against these false deities because they are not acting with justice. How long will you grant favor to the wicked, God asks. Give justice to the lowly and the orphan. Maintain the right of the poor and the destitute. Rescue the lowly and the needy. Deliver them from the power of the wicked. And then the psalm concludes with a cry from the psalmist, for God to judge, for God to deliver justice. This is a prayer that depicts justice not as something that's secondary to God's nature, not as as an afterthought to God's rescuing and saving work in the world, but a part of God's very character, something God cares a lot about. God loves justice because God loves human beings. And justice isn't, in this psalm and elsewhere in the scripture, justice isn't just someone getting judged for a crime, someone getting what they deserve. But justice is when the poor and the widow and the orphan and the immigrant and the most vulnerable don't have to worry about their safety, who's going to take advantage of them, but they have the resources that they need to flourish. God's heart beats for justice. After all, remember that Israel's foundational story is the exodus where God saw injustice. God saw people enslaved and and oppressed in Egypt and God was moved to do something about it. And so God delivered them. So when your entire faith develops out of the story of oppressed being set free, of vulnerable being noticed by God and helped, justice is going to be a part of the very air that you breathe when you pray. Justice is woven into the very fabric of your prayer life. Friends, when our entire faith develops out of the story of a God who became flesh in Jesus, experiencing the weight of the world's injustice on His shoulders on the cross, dying but then rising victoriously to new life to justify us and to set the world's wrongs to right, justice should be the very air that we breathe when we pray. Justice should be woven into the fabric of our prayers. Because prayers that cry for justice draw us 
closer to the very heart of who God is. Wherever God's heart is, our prayers should be also. Wherever God's heart is, our prayers should be also. When we pray for justice, we're drawn in closer to the God who in Jesus said, I've come to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, to free those who are oppressed. When we pray for justice, we are drawn closer to God's character of justice, strengthening our trust in the God who has always had a heart for the vulnerable and for the oppressed and those falling through the cracks. Jesus noticed that kind of thing. God notices those who are in danger of falling through the cracks and what those cracks are. Do we? The psalmists have a particular eye toward injustice within society precisely because they are praying about it. It's not just individual people who are broken. Systems and institutions are too. It's not just in the Psalms, have mercy on me, O God, for I have sinned. It's, God, there's some really broken and messed up things in our society. People are falling through the cracks. Please, God, make them right and whole. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I do a better job noticing my own needs, my my own shortcomings, my personal sin and guilt, I'm more likely to see sin and, and, and the need for forgiveness and transformation at the personal level and not at the social level. It's really a kind of nearsighted prayer life. You know how some people become nearsighted where, where they can have trouble seeing what's further away from them? No problem uh, seeing objects that are close up, but, but objects and people that are further away start to look blurry. We can become nearsighted in our prayers, too, where it's primarily just about me and, and Jesus and, and, and taking me out of the world's problems, or we're praying for those in our immediate circles. Other people's problems, society's problems are not our problems. And, and we don't have the vision to see the injustices occurring within society as a whole. The Psalms of, of justice teach us that to pray for justice is to get corrective vision for our nearsighted prayers. We start to pay attention, don't we, to the things that we're praying for? When we pray for justice for the most vulnerable, the most likely to fall through the cracks in our society, we start to pay attention to the cracks. And what is not as it should be, not just in us, but in our society, in our institutions. The, the psalmists who are praying for justice see brokenness that permeates cultures and institutions and places of power if the lowly and the orphan and the widow and the immigrant and the destitute are falling through the cracks again and again. This isn't just an individual sin problem that needs mercy. It's a, also a social problem that needs justice. I wonder, who, who would you include in that list of vulnerable those who are, who are falling through the cracks today. What are those cracks 
in our day. Can you see them? In my previous appointment, I served as an associate pastor in a historic downtown United Methodist Church in a town that was struggling economically. And one of my responsibilities was, was meeting with people who needed emergency financial assistance, folks who, who would come in and their, their power was in danger of being turned off because of, of um, late payment on the light bill, or they were in danger of being evicted from their, their home or their apartment because of, of not make, keeping up with their rent payments. And it was in those conversations and prayers with and for those individuals that my prayers became less nearsighted and I started to pay more attention to the injustices occurring as I prayed for them. That one of the most frustrating, heartbreaking things I saw over and over again were people being held hostage by slumlords. They were living in horrible conditions, but the landlords had them under their thumb because the choice was to live there. Okay, you can go live out on the street if you want to. These landlords would acquire for cheap rundown houses, and then they would lease these rundown houses out to people who were desperate to have a roof over their heads, but not do a thing to make the houses warmer, safer, and drier, or just do the bare minimum so they wouldn't be condemned. The more and more that I started praying for God's justice here, the more and more I started to notice other kinds of injustices in other places and realized that my prayers needed to get bigger than just me and the people closest to me, than just my own personal sin and need for forgiveness. So the hope is that as we pray for justice, as we pray like Psalm 82, we get closer to God's heart of justice. We, get, uh, we pay more attention to injustices more easily so that ultimately we find the courage to seek and work for justice in our world. In the same way that praying our sin can transform guilt into grace, in the same way that praying our sadness can transform grief into hope in the same way that, that praying our anger can transform vengeance into forgiveness. Praying justice can transform our love for neighbor into action. Because we really can't love our neighbor well while accepting systems that crush and dehumanize and exploit them. When we pray for for, for justice and say things like, give justice to the weak and the orphan, to the lowly and the destitute. We're empowered. We're empowered to partner with a justice-loving God to help bring it about. We're strengthened in the conviction that, that God can use each one of us. Because guess what? Guess how God chooses to operate in the world most often. But through you and me, through God's image bearers. When we pray for justice, we're more likely to do justice. That's what the prophet Micah says, anyway. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God? That's how praying for justice, like Psalm 82, goes from prayer to action. Because those three are meant to belong together. We do justice that's rooted in mercy... By walking humbly with God through prayer. We love mercy by doing justice that's anchored in a prayer life 
of walking humbly with God. We pray for the people falling through the cracks, and then we work to fix the cracks. We pray for the most vulnerable, and then we make sure that they have the resources they need to flourish. Think about an injustice that you care about. As you pray for justice, how is God calling you to do the justice that you're praying for? Friends, the the good news is that praying for justice creates waves. You know what happens when Christians pray for justice well? The slave trade gets abolished in England. Early Methodists work for prison reform, advocate for the poor, help establish hospitals and, and orphanages. Enslaved people come to embrace the same faith that was used to oppress them. A civil rights movement changes laws. Apartheid in South Africa crumbles. A Central American priest stands up to authoritarian regimes. A nun dedicates her life to serving in the slums of India. A millionaire from Alabama forgoes his wealth and starts Habitat for Humanity. A young attorney dedicates his life to helping men on death row just like Anthony Hinton. We could go on and on. Open and unafraid, praying for justice. As he reflected back on cases like Anthony Hinton's and his overall justice work, Brian Stevenson wrote, I've come to believe that the true meaning of justice, uh, excuse me, I've come to believe that the true measure of our commitment to justice, the character of our society, cannot be measured by how we treat the rich, the powerful, the privileged, and the respected among us. The true measure of justice and character is how we treat the poor, the disfavored, the accused, the incarcerated, the condemned. That sounds very psalm-like. Friends, justice is how we make things right in Jesus' name. Those who have been justified through Christ should be the very ones seeking to work with Jesus for justice. Those who have been set right with God become the kind of people who help set things right in the world. And those who kneel with God in prayer should be the same people who stand with and for those most likely to fall through the cracks. God's heart for justice must become ours too. And it starts, it starts with our prayers. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.